You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. We've all been to one. Loud music, people huddled in clicks, and little to no guidance from the host. I'm talking about poorly run networking events. The kind of events that spike the anxiety of us introverts and solo attendees. But nobody wants to throw a bad event. The host wants to make sure everyone is having a good time and leaves having made meaningful connections. The problem is that nobody taught us how to throw a great networking party. That was until Nick Gray wrote The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. It's a step-by-step handbook that teaches you how to build big relationships by hosting small gatherings. Nick is a firm believer that hosting these simple, lightweight gatherings will accelerate your network, and he's given us the playbook for how to do just that. In this conversation, we cover how to make sure people show up, four secrets for hosting a great event, and how to politely kick people out at the end of the party, which is something that I feel like I always struggle with. Nick also gives me the answer for the perfect number of attendees and the best day of the week to host your networking party. And actually, since recording, I've been to two parties that used Nick's book to host their event, and they have been far superior to the typical networking events. But they weren't flashy events with like paid bartenders and catering and a DJ. No, they were just really well-run events and a great use of my time. I met a lot of incredible people and I left feeling like excited to actually continue those conversations. So if you want to expand your network and know how to throw a simple yet amazing networking event, this is the episode for you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mr. Popular, the former museum tour guide, and the best-selling author, Nick Gray. Nick, I'm really excited to have you on to talk about this concept of hosting a two-hour cocktail party. We're going to get into tons of the logistics, but we're in the midst of a series all about how to expand your professional network. And I feel like this is an amazing idea, especially with so many of the other ideas in the series not having a, you know, a concrete face-to-face component of it. And I, as somebody that works from home and most of my customers, I work in some kind of virtual capacity. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, just needing to bring back some like actual human interaction into some of the business and the work that I do. So I'm really excited to learn about how to host parties. But I want to start out with the question, why do you feel like hosting parties is the best way to quote, build big relationships, why not attend versus host? Because so many of the people that are listening to this are busy working professionals and maybe don't have the time to be consistently hosting. So first of all, let's put party in the context of what I mean by that. Now, parties come in all shapes and sizes. You can have a late night rave, total booze bender, You could have like a morning coffee party. You could have a happy hour. You could have a cocktail party. 
my parties, when I use that phrase cocktail party, I'm talking about a small gathering, more like a happy hour that doesn't have to include alcohol. It's not about the alcohol. It's about the conversations. I think that these types of events are so powerful for somebody in their mid to late 20s because you get to be the host. And I don't think most people truly understand the difference in how people see and treat you and introduce you to others when you become the host. Hmm. You get to be known as that person. And you know, the secret I found was everyone wants to know someone who brings people together. And anyone can step into that role. I found a formula that works after hosting hundreds of events myself. And now I've helped hundreds of others learn how to host. And I think that anyone can learn how to do this. This is a skill that at the end of this podcast, you will be like, oh, wow, all of these things I need to do the next time I host any type of event. And I like your approach because it's not this overwhelming, you know, once a year type of get together that you're throwing that takes weeks of planning and lots of logistics and two days of cleanup afterwards. You consistently talk about an MVP, which is a minimal viable party. Can you expand on that concept and and kind of how you incorporate that into your general party gathering instructions? I want to give your listeners a formula to host an event that they can do regularly because the biggest benefits come when you can learn how to make hosting a habit. In your career, as you grow, as you're meeting people, whether it's in your company or in your town you live in, you really should be going through life kind of collecting people. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way, but in the same way that you would add them to your LinkedIn, you want to add them into this network that you're going to be building And hosting events is an amazing way to turbocharge those relationships. I think, I mean, that was a roundabout way of saying, but this idea of an easy gathering that you will feel good about afterwards. Here's the thing. Anyone can write a book that's like the one best party. And there's these recipes and shopping and decorations and all that. Like it's like Martha Stewart style of over the top food and drinks and stuff. But the reality is you will do that party exactly once and then have so much trauma from the stress afterwards that you'll never host again. Yes. Some of your listeners are probably doing what you're doing. They're nodding. They're like, oh my (laughs) God, I've been there. I've talked to people, by the way, and it's so funny because everybody has a little bit of party trauma from a party that they hosted that didn't go well or a party they hosted where they had too much stress. Everybody's been there for that. And so that's really what I'm fighting. I'm trying to say, look, you can host a party that's a simple gathering. And as long as you fill the room with the right people, which by the way, it doesn't have to be some like master VIP list, just some interesting folks you know through town. As long as you fill the room, it's almost guaranteed to be a success. And I think this stacks well with what we've been talking about in the rest of the part of this series too, because what I've always struggled with is I meet these people in my kind of day-to-day life. I'm just going through. And unless I explicitly find an an event to invite them to or schedule a one-on-one coffee with them, they seem to somewhat disappear, like if you're not intentional. And it's really hard whenever you're meeting people all the time and you know, you only have a limited amount of time to invest in certain people and to bring it to the next 
level of the relationship. And I like, especially if you're going to make throwing parties a habit or these cocktail parties a habit, then you always have the next invite to share out anytime you meet somebody interesting. That's the key thing. What you said is so true. We meet these people and it's like, oh, dude, we should hang out or like we should get dinner. (laughs) And the reality is, is everybody is busy. And that's also a big leap, you know, Mm -hmm. to go from randomly meeting someone interesting to bringing them into your life is quite a large leap. And for many, it can be incredibly intimidating to actually say, hey, do you want to be friends? Do you want to go out for coffee? Do you want to go to dinner? And the reality is that there are so many people that we meet that we want that, but we just don't make it happen. Cocktail parties are the answer. A simple happy hour is a way for you to bring these people into your life and then build bigger, better relationships with them later on. I love that. So we're going to get into the secrets to throwing a great party. And you have a a nice acronym that can really break down a couple of important aspects to consider when hosting a party. But first, I'd like to lay a a little bit of context with kind of where you came from and how you walked into the guy that's now talking about throwing parties and building a habit around this. Can you tell me a little bit about Tyler and the story of him and how you helped them and how this kind of launched writing this book? Yeah, I had a really good friend, one of my best friends in New York City. His name was Tyler. He worked with me at Museum Hack, which was my last company. And then he decided to move to Little Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas, for his wife. They were having more kids. They wanted the support of her family. And Tyler didn't know anybody. New town, new job. He didn't even have a job yet. They just made the decision that they were going to move. And he didn't know anybody. He didn't even have a friend that he could call to have a beer with on a Friday night. He only knew his wife and her family. And he said, look, Nick, you were so successful building up a friend group in New York City. Can you show me how to host these parties that you were hosting? Backtrack a little bit. I moved to New York in my late 20s after living and working in North Georgia and going to college in North Carolina. And I poured myself into my job and my business. And I loved my work. I was working six or seven days a week, but I had zero social life and like no social skills. And I said, okay, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to be around other people and I'm going to work on that side of my life. And I would go to these networking events, Justin, and I would would be very frustrated and I would leave having not met people and just feeling like it was my fault, like I was doing something wrong, nearly ready to just give up, just feeling so upset that I missed all these opportunities. And something clicked for me, I don't know when, but I basically said, wow, it's not me that's the problem. I think it's these events that are very poorly run. And the type of events I'm talking about, you may have been to them. It's like, Come to this for now. I actually just went to one last week that was for this. I can't roast them at large, so I'm not going to say who it is. But it was like a networking event. And the music was so loud. Oh, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. <laughs> like, why market it as a networking event if you can't hear anybody? <laughs> it was so loud. And you have to go up to someone and be like, hey, what do you do for work? I'm like mock screaming, but it's so annoying. I realized that it wasn't me that was totally at fault. 
but it was the events and the way that the party was set up and structured that really didn't help introverts or shy people or those without a lot of friends to really be successful. Mm-hmm. And so I said, look, that that's not working for me. I'm going to do my own stuff and I'm going to host my own events, which is a big leap. But I said, I know some people, I've met some interesting people. I'm just going to put us all together and hang out. And I started to do that in New York City. I hosted a variety of different formats. At the time, I wasn't drinking alcohol. So my first ever party was like a tea party. I brought back all this fancy tea from a trip that I had been on. And it was an excuse for me to brew tea for my friends. I hosted dinner parties. I hosted happy hours. I hosted ice cream parties, a lot of different things. And through hosting hundreds of parties, I found a formula, just a method that really made the events successful that was like a framework. And you don't have to do every single thing from this framework at every single one of your parties. But generally, you can think about this like a party operating system. And this, by the way, works. I talked to this woman in Seattle whose name is Trish. And she read my book. She's now hosted four parties. And I talked to her the day after her birthday party. And she said, oh my God, that was the best birthday party that I've ever had in my whole life. She said, because I had a friend group, I knew they were going to come. I knew how to invite them. I didn't have to stress about the party because she had built up her hosting muscle. She'd hosted three events prior and she was making hosting a habit. So she was able to have the best birthday party in her whole life. You know, by the way, her business has, she said, doubled just because she's hosting these events and people are just hearing about her and what she does. She didn't even have to sell. She's just top of mind amongst people. Very cool. Yeah, I think it's such a a, a great thing to add to your, I don't know, networking repertoire, I guess. I just, I can't even imagine. The, I have dropped your name actually a couple of times over the last few months. We were supposed to record a couple of weeks ago and I had a client that I was talking to and I mentioned that I had an upcoming interview and they said, oh, with who? And I mentioned Nick, Nick Gray. They're like, oh my gosh, I know Nick Gray. I know the name. I haven't been introduced to him, but I've heard him, his name run around in our circles a little bit. I'm like, that's craziness. But I'm guessing it's because all these parties that you've been throwing and how critical that you are to so much of the Austin community, but at large, some of the, the larger community too. So very excited to, to add this to mine. I do now want to get into kind of the meat and potatoes of this conversation, which is once again, the secrets to throwing a great party. And you have tons of tips, but I think the best, the best tip that I like is this framework that you call Nick, which is fun. I I wonder how long that took you, if that just came to you and, or if you had to fit one of the letters in, but Nick stands for name tags, icebreakers, cocktails, and kick them out. And we're going to walk through each of these. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. So with name tags, I'm curious, do you use name tags for all of your events? Does it make sense to use them in a more of an intimate setting if you're hosting some people at your house? I'd love to hear kind of your general thoughts on name tags, when you use them, and you know, kind of how that came to be. The short answer is yes, name tags all the time, like every time. Even if I'm doing a meetup with four or five people, then I will do the name tags. And Part of that is because I'm so bad with names, (laughs) but I also think that it really unifies the group and makes it so much easier. What what do you mean by that? So think about when you play sports, everybody wears a jersey and you're on the same team. Mm 
when everybody's wearing name tags, we are all on the same team. We're showing that this is a safe space to call somebody by their name, to walk up and introduce yourself, to start new conversations. You're showing that it's not a gathering of clicks, that you're not walking into a room where everybody knows each other, which can be very intimidating. Mm-hmm. The name tags help to unify the group that like, hey, we're all on the same level here. And so, yes, I do the name tags. Now, times I wouldn't do a name tags, like maybe a dinner party, maybe groups that are like six or less when it's not my event or something like that. But in general, here's the thing. Most people would be like, oh, my friends all know each other. I actually challenge them on that because in a group of 10 or 11 people, if you graph out all the different people who need to know all the different names, there's over a hundred different interpersonal relationships in that group of 10 or 11 people, okay? And I guarantee you that while you may know everybody's name, your guests do not. And they may have seen them around, but oh my gosh, I actually want to do a quiz sometime. I can't because it'd be too rude. But the next time somebody says to me, they're like, oh, my friends all know each other. I'd be like, Okay, I'm going to challenge you on that. Pause, and I'll grab one person and be like, name everybody here in this room. (laughs) Because I think people will be very, very surprised. Anyhow, the name tags really help just to set the stage and to put everybody on that visual unifier. We also forget what the experience is like for introverts or shy people or even just a plus one that's coming to your event Mm -hmm. of what that is like for them to go, like, have you ever been somebody's plus one and you're like, say yes, and you go to this thing, you're like, I don't know anybody. <laughs> it's kind of intimidating. Definitely, definitely. And I like that the name tags at least signify that this is the kind of event that you can walk up and introduce yourself to other people. I think that's probably the biggest the biggest game changer about putting name tags on. Do you prepare your guest that there will be name tags? How do you, how do you deal with that? Oh. Oh, this is so key. This is major, major critical. You have to prepare them and let them know. And so a lot of people say, oh, my friends wouldn't like name tags. My friends will balk at name tags. People don't like surprise name tags. So I tell people, look, if you're hosting a Super Bowl party, which don't do a Super Bowl party, by the way, but if you're hosting a Super Bowl party and somebody shows up and gets name tags instead of nachos, they're going to be a little curious, like, is this an MLM? Like, what is going on here? And you have to tell them in advance. And I have found that telling people in advance on the RSVP page, on the invitations, saying something as simple as, there'll be name tags because I'm bad with names, and we'll do a round of icebreakers to help you meet some new people. That simple line helps to set the expectations and remove 99% of any hesitations around the name tags. All right, I'm I'm bought into name tags and I'll have to get my own custom name tags uh, for the events. But what about icebreakers? You you just mentioned that. And I know one of your favorite lines is a good icebreaker is a fast icebreaker. So can you tell me how to run icebreakers and examples of good icebreakers? So I think about icebreakers in a series of green, yellow, red, where green would be an easy, great icebreaker to use at the beginning of an event. A yellow would be fantastic to use about an hour later. And red, we're really going to avoid the red and save it for really close friends and moments of intimacy. A green level icebreaker, the one that I use at almost all my events that I recommend in my book that I tell first time hosts to use because it just works, is to say your name, 
Say what you do for work and tell me one of your favorite things that you like to eat for breakfast. What's just a go-to breakfast item? Now, while that may seem childish or silly, it works because everybody can quickly think of something they like to eat for breakfast. There's very little judgment about the breakfast. It expresses a bit about your personality. But I think most importantly, it's not hard to think of the answer. An example of an icebreaker that I don't like at the beginning of an event would be like, what's your favorite book or your favorite movie? That's subjective. It's very hard for people to pick a definitive singular favorite. It elicits judgment because you're thinking of, oh, how do I impress this group with what is my favorite? What does that say about me? Some people don't read or they don't watch television as well. So that's like a little bit harder to do. I like the breakfast one. It works all the time. But I do tell people, especially since your listeners are mid to late 20s, if you want to be edgier, then you can ask people to say, what's one of your favorite vices? Mm. And the vice could be, you know, nicotine, alcohol, your favorite cocktail. It could be trashy reality television. Okay, so name tags, icebreakers, I like them. That makes total sense to me. I also like icebreakers too, because I feel like it just gives some talking points after you break out from the group. And now all of a sudden you can, you have something to ask someone like on the breakfast foods, like, oh, do you like avocado toast? Like, I like avocado toast. How do you make yours? I don't know, something random like that. At least (laughs) there's some kind of conversation starter here. Yes, that's all that it is. It's a conversational crutch to get people to go up and talk to somebody new. That's literally what an icebreaker is, right? We're just, we're taking the first step to go up and meet somebody new. And these parties, that is the purpose. So as you're listening to this, you're thinking like, what's going on with this? The whole purpose of this event is for you to host something where all your guests get to talk to and meet a lot of new people. And that is the key. That's the secret for your party to be successful. You don't need an amazing band or decorations or a great food spread. You need to introduce them to new people. I have said that I would rather have somebody come to my party and leave hungry rather than bored. Mm. And so it's my job to help them meet a lot of new people. And that's really what the icebreakers do. And that might go hand in hand with the C and the Nick acronym here, which is cocktail. So you're not in favor of sit-down dinners, things like that. As you mentioned, just mentioned, you'd rather a guest leave hungry than bored. Talk to me why you feel like cocktail hours, or at least that general premise, is, is the way to go when it comes to these, these networking events. Cocktail parties are easier to host. You can connect with more people. They take less time, and they're easier for somebody to say yes to. You also get less cancellations. I'll tell you why. First of all, they're easier to say yes to because somebody that you don't know as well, to invite them to a one-on-one coffee or a dinner party, that's quite a big ask. That's a big ask for somebody who doesn't know you as well. But a cocktail party, the theory, the idea is that it's a simple, lightweight gathering where you'll have a lot of little conversations. Easy to pop into, it's easy to leave. Similarly, A dinner party represents kind of an intense, in-depth commitment. And that commitment can be a little much for new people. Now, I love dinner parties when they're run well, but I want to acknowledge that they're hard to run and they take an advanced level facilitator. 
they're also quite stressful. So I found that cocktail parties were less work with equal or more benefits. So I found that I could also serve more people. The special number or the magic number I say is 15 to 22 people. I found that really is the great number that you want to have come to a cocktail party. Less than 15 people and there's not enough energy or excitement in the room. You walk into the room and you're like, oh, I will be able to talk to everybody in here. So you want to have more than 15, but more than 22. And now it's a little too much work for the host. Now you don't really get a chance to say hello to everyone. Your icebreakers can go on too long. So I think for a new listener, for somebody planning to build their network and grow their career, 15 to 22 is really the sweet spot, the best number. That makes sense. Yeah, and the one downfall I feel like with dinner parties, I mean, I love being fed and you can get into some really amazing conversations, but I feel like with only your seatmates, like the person to the left or right of you or across from you, I find it really hard to be mobile during dinner parties. And I, I find myself walking away having great conversation with maybe a handful of people, but not getting a chance to speak with 70, 80% of the people that are there. That's the big thing, right? And then most dinner parties aren't curated. So you're just sitting down next to the person. So when we hosted these cocktail parties, I tell people that no formal dinner will be served. Once again, setting the expectations. And it's not just drinks. Okay, you can have some basic snacks. Chips, dip, vegetables, some cheese, some guacamole grapes, some cookies, but it's basic snacks. It's easy stuff that you can buy days in advance. What I don't want you to be doing is slaving away in the kitchen and stressing, spending all your time on the preparation and the food and none of your time with your guests and making introductions. That's what will make your party special. No doubt. So we're at the K. So name tags, icebreakers, cocktail. K is kick them out. And honestly, this is one that I feel like I always have a little concern or anxiety around when it comes to hosting events, having friends over. How do I politely make sure people are exiting the party whenever I, at whatever time I establish the party is going to be ending? (laughs) K is hard. How do you kick them out? I have a whole chapter about it in my book, but I'll tell you what I do that you can do. Number one, it goes back to setting expectations. So just like letting people know that there'll be name tags and icebreakers, you're also going to list both a start time and an end time in your invitations. By letting people know that there is an end time, by the way, it will turbocharge your party in several ways. Number one, more people show up on time or they show up closer to on time and it compresses this idea of the awkward zone. The awkward zone is the first 10, 20 minutes at any event when there's not enough people, it's not enough critical mass to be the energy and excitement in these small group conversations. So how do you kick people out is by letting them know that there will be an end time ahead of time that lays the foundation. At the party itself, you'll simply make a last call. You'll let everybody know 15 minutes before the party is scheduled to end. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for coming. I've set for us to wrap up in about 15 minutes. So this will be the last call. If you want to grab a drink or go say hey to somebody, start to collect some contact info for new people that you want to meet and talk to afterwards, we'll wrap up in about 15 minutes. Hmm. Let the party go back to it. You let them know it's going to start to wrap up. And then at that time, when the party's scheduled to end, you thank everybody for coming. And then you kind of just get out of the way and they'll start to wrap things up. 
Now, if they don't get the hint, then you can start to tidy, start to pick up and <laughs> clean up. You can flip the lights on and off. You know, I tell people, turn the lights up and the music down, start to clean up and tidy. And if they really don't get the hint, then you could play like Closing Time by Semisonic <laughs> or some song to let them know that like the party's over. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I love the framework. I feel like that's really useful and there's a lot of great nuggets there. I do want to spend just a little bit more time chatting about something that I feel like, I don't know, any first-time host might be fearful of. And that's the fact that no one will show up. And you have a couple of tips around how to ensure that people do show up. Three in particular that I'd love to cover. Red Level Days. What are red level days and what should we know about them? Red level days are socially competitive days. And I think they're why most parties fail. Red level days are days like Friday and Saturday nights that are socially competitive. What do I mean by that? I mean, there's other events that get scheduled and booked on those nights. You are less likely to receive yeses to your RSVP and you're more likely to receive last-minute cancellations when you host on a red-level day. Hmm. Another prime example of a red-level day would be a holiday. Let's just say at the time that we're recording this in America, the 4th of July is coming up soon. The 4th of July is like the biggest red-level day. There are so many parties. The expectations are so high. And when you compare that to hosting on a green-level day, like an average Tuesday night, when people don't have stuff going on, when it's easy to pop by after work, it makes it so much easier for people to come by. And that's what I'm looking for. I want it to be as easy as possible for somebody to come to your party. It's also why I don't encourage people to make their guests bring something, hmm. like a potluck or something like that. It kind of feels like homework to me. So I provide everything at the do-it-yourself bar, all the snacks. I want to make it easy for people just to pop over and show up. That's cool. So Tuesdays, is that your preferred day? I like Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I think Wednesday like starts to edge into red level day. So I think Tuesday for a new host, I think a Tuesday is really good. Okay. Do you do Sundays or Saturday afternoons or anything? I've experimented with Sunday nights, Sunday evenings. You have to do Sunday a little bit earlier. And I've experimented with that. One thing I find during summer months is that a Sunday night party people have generally spent the day doing some sort of activity where I am. They've probably been outdoors. And in the summer, they're wiped. By the end of Sunday, people are just wiped out from the weekend. And it's kind of hard. It's a much different vibe and energy than something like a Tuesday or Wednesday night party. On average, I host most of my events on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Yeah, I feel like those are the best. Sunday feels like rest day to me. I don't want to ever commit to anything on Sunday. Like, right. I might be there, I might not. I feel like it's like a 50-50 chance for me. Friday, Saturday is an obvious red level day for me. Thursday's got a whole lot of things that are typically happening too. Maybe you can mm -hmm. compete there. But once again, I feel like you're going to compete for some people's time. And Monday, just, just getting into the week. I might forget until, you know, that morning or that afternoon that there's something mm. that evening. So yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday seems like really great days to host. I'm glad you mentioned about not wanting to commit to something. It's the reason that I encourage using RSVP platforms that allow guests to list a maybe. And there's two right now that I really like. The two platforms I like, 
Number one, it's called Partyful, P-A-R-T-I-F-U-L. And the other is called Mixily, M-I-X-I-L-Y. And I'll send these over for the show notes, links, because I've written up about how to use these and the best way to use the platforms. But I like having a maybe, because for those that are reticent to commit, then I will follow up. Hey, would you mind RSVPing? Like, hit me with a maybe if you're even on the fence, but it will just give me sort of an idea for headcount. And by the way, you should count those maybes as a no, but it's good to know that they're there and they'll continue to receive your messaging and reminders. Which I feel like translates well into my next question, which is this core group. You like to get five confirmed invites before you really start mass promoting this event. Can you talk through that a little bit and and what that really looks like in practice? Oh my God, yes. This is such a key concept. And readers tell me this really helped me. Even when I'm just planning a night out, it helps them. The idea is that you're going to invite your core group before you invite anybody else to test your date and time. So let's just say that we were going to go to the movies and I wanted to get a group of people together to go to the movies. Before I mass messaged a whole bunch of people, I would message you, Justin, and some of my friends, and I would say, hey, I'm thinking about going to see the new Dune, and I want to go on Thursday night for the 7 o'clock showing. If I do it, would you come? And that's the phrase that you'll use when you message your core group about hosting your party or networking event. Mm. Hey, I'm thinking about hosting a networking event. It'd be pretty casual. I want to do it on a Tuesday night on July 27th. If I do it, would you come? And you're going to look to get five yeses before you invite anybody else. If you cannot get those five yeses, then you're going to pick another date and message your group again. Most people miss this step and it causes them to have so much anxiety and stress about are people actually going to show up because they don't do the core group first. Now, the core group also serves to give you social proof because when you collect RSVPs, you're going to make your guest list visible. That's important so other people can see who's coming. And your core group will be among the first to sign up an RSVP. And you'll insist that they do, in fact, because now when you invite that random neighbor that you see around the neighborhood, but you've never hung out one-on-one, when they go to the party page to sign up, they see there's like six or seven other people that are already going. Mm, I love that. I feel like that's a really great strategy and brings a little bit of the anxiety out for me versus just kind of mass sending that RSVP out and then just constantly refreshing the page and seeing if anyone said yes. That's the spray and pray method of party invites that really adds to the anxiety and the stress. And so much of what I found is just establishing the confidence to know that people are going to show up because that really is like 80% of the work is just getting people to show up. Yeah. And then one more, I feel like this is a little bit more into the advanced territory, but I loved it so much and I feel like it fits really well into networking events, which is sending out guest bios. So how do you execute on guest bios? What is it? Guest bios are a brief blurb about some of your guests and some things that people could talk to them about. So let's say, for example, that my neighbor, his name is Rob. I know that he does yoga. He loves to ride his bike. He like works on bikes as a bike mechanic. And he just got a new dog, okay? Rob's bio could be, Rob is my neighbor. He's a bike mechanic. Ask him about his yoga practice or his new dog. Hmm. It's as simple as that. That's just giving people 
conversational access points, it also really gets people excited to attend your party because they're learning about who's going to be there. It boosts your attendance rate. It gives confidence to the introverts. I love these guest bios and they are worth every penny of the 25 minutes it may take for you to write them up. So you don't have to do the like LinkedIn copy paste, format this, put some real great things into it. No, you don't have to. If you don't know somebody well enough, absolutely hop to their LinkedIn. If you're doing more of a networking event where you don't know somebody's hobbies, you don't know a lot about them. As an example, these guys in Miami, they're in their late 20s. One of them's name is Ben. The other's Ari. They hosted an e-commerce meetup last night for people in Miami. Every single one of their guests, they did cold outreach to on LinkedIn to get them to come. And they wrote all of their bios based on little blurbs they found from their LinkedIn. Mm. So an example could be like, Julie's LinkedIn says that she works at Microsoft. She graduated from Babson. And it looks like she volunteers with this charity. Mm. They're little blurbs that you write about them. And I recommend you do it for half or more of all your guests. I think these really help people to know who's coming and to really focus on the people. Because remember, this party is not about you. It's about you inviting other people to help them meet more folks. Yes. And how do you send out the bios? Is it, do you just make like a Google Doc and just email that out? Or does some of these RSDP pl platforms do that for you? So I do write them myself. I put them in a Google Doc and then I will copy paste the Google Doc. Depending on the platform, sometimes I'll link to the Google Doc in my reminder messages. But that's one more thing I want to just briefly mention because it is such a key component is these reminder messages. Even if you're using this, you're listening to this for a birthday party, a housewarming, hosting a happy hour, a networking event, you need to send three reminder messages. Some event platforms will have like automated event reminders. I don't like those. I like to send my own. Yeah. And the cadence that I send is one week before, a brief little thing. What's up, everybody? The party's next week. I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. I'll send some more details in a few days. Here's the link to the event that you signed up for as a reminder. The next reminder I send about three days before the party. And that is including all the logistical info as well as the guest bios. And then the final message I send is the morning of or the afternoon of the event. Hey, everybody, the party's tonight. We got a great group coming. Here's some of the guest bios. Can't wait to see you. Here's my cell phone number if you're lost or if you have any questions. And then I list the address, the time, a brief agenda, you know, how to park, stuff like that. But sending those reminder messages shows that you're a host who cares. And this doesn't take a long time, but if you are willing and if you are able to put in the one or two hours of work to do the reminders like this, to collect RSVPs, to write the guest bios, you will be seen as a super connector because the bar is so low today for in-person meetups and networking events. I see you nodding your head. You know oh, what yeah. I mean. It's like, <laughs> it's just like show up to a bar and this is my meetup. They don't even do name tags. The host doesn't do any introductions. It's just like, okay, now what? It's just up to me to go meet people? Like who's even here for the meetup, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm guessing now as an experienced party planner that you probably cringe whenever you show up to some events. I mean, I've 
there's some that I'm like, I, I don't think I can come back here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just okay. can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. um, I went to an event recently and to the host credit, they did name tags, which I thought was so helpful because it was at like a brewery mm-hmm. and it was, you know, the name tags were the only way that we knew who was there for this meetup. However, everybody was sitting down at these huge brewery tables. Yeah. And just like you were saying at dinner, I found that sitting down is the kryptonite to a successful networking event. It makes it so hard to approach, to join, and then to exit. It's like impossible to exit a seated conversation gracefully. You're locked in there for a long time. And so at all the events that I have and that I encourage people to host, I tell them, you want to be standing as much as possible. And you'll use these two or three rounds of icebreakers to get people to stand up again and mix up and just move the room around for some new collisions. And that's what yeah. we want. Yeah, I was at a event at St. Elmo's and they got those big brewery tables as well. And he did icebreakers. The, the host did icebreakers, which was great. But the problem was it was just one of those bad red icebreakers. And I think we sat around the tables for about 40 to 45 minutes. No, no. Yeah. And it was such a bummer because there were so many amazing people in the industry that I play in. And I was so excited to get up and meet some of those people. But by the time the icebreakers were actually done and finalized, I was like so wiped from just sitting there listening. Like, And I got a little bit of ADHD too. So I'm like, all right, I want to get up and do this. And like, I, I was rocking for about 20 or 25 minutes. Like, And then I just lost all the steam. Yeah. I know I know exactly what you mean. And that's why icebreakers get a bad reputation. And like we said, a good icebreaker is a fast icebreaker. And so the purpose of the icebreaker is twofold. Number one, to give people a conversational crutch, to go up and meet somebody new. And number two, to break up the existing conversations. Yes, The icebreakers serve as a waypoint to break the room up. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you're a new host, listen to this. So I actually got a call once from somebody who read my book. And he's like, dude, I'm at my party right now and I don't want to stop the party. Why would I stop the party? I look around the room. Everything's going great. Like, I don't want to stop this. The, like people are talking. They're having fun. Is he in his I closet said, or something? Like calling you fan? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I've actually weird. gotten calls from people that have like snuck away to their bedroom. That's fine. And like they call me, they're like, I'm at the party. And what I said was, I said, look, if you look around the room, I promise you people are having fun know this, the best conversations will reform later. Uh And your job as a host is not as allegiance to one person who's smiling and having fun. Your job is to the whole party. And your role is to be an active, assertive host. And I find, and what I'm just trying to teach and hope to inspire for listeners, is that a good host takes leadership. A good host is a leader They are not what Priya Parker calls the host that's too cool to care. Mm. The the host that's like, oh, man, you know, we're not going to do name tags at this party, bro. We're we're not going to do icebreakers. This party is just chill. It's just chill. You know, we're just going to be chill, man. I don't do that. And that's actually laziness. Yeah. And it's actually a disservice to your guests if the intention is for your friends to meet new people. Okay, And that is why your party will be successful. It's why if you host this, you can become, quote, famous in your local community simply by hosting a well-run meetup, networking event, or happy hour. It changed my life, and I've seen it do it for so many others. 
Hey, great, man. Uh, this has been a fun conversation. You, you kept me on the edge of my seat. I've been looking forward to having this for a couple of weeks, even since the reschedule. You got a book out there. Loved it. To hear a little bit about the book, where people can find it, and if they want to connect with you online, where's a good place for them to, to go? Oh, I'm so passionate. My goal is to get 500 people to become verified party hosts using my book. So I have what, a book. Where are you at, number-wise? I'm at like 291 right now. Holy cow. Last time I heard you on a podcast, maybe like, a, I don't know, six months to a year ago, and it sounded like you were around like the 60, 70 mark. So yes, people yeah. are, are picking this up and using it, huh? It's pretty cool. It's the best part of my day. Besides a podcast like this, I get to talk to people who read my book and hosted their first party. And it's so fulfilling and I get to hear such great stories. But that's that's what I'm doing now. That's my mission. That's my big thing in life is to get 500 new party hosts because I know that there really is a loneliness epidemic. And after we graduate college, it is so hard to make new friends. And these parties will help you and they'll help your friends to meet some new people. The name of my book, it's called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. You can find it anywhere books are sold online. I also recorded the Audible myself. People say it's a lot of fun to listen to. (laughs) Um, And then I'll include links in the show notes about how you can use this formula to host a housewarming party or to plan a networking event or anything like that. I even have like a checklist of 19 things you can do before your next event to make it a success. My name is Nick Gray. I'm on social media at at Nick Gray News. I'm really active on Twitter and Instagram, especially. And I hope you say, hey, if you're thinking about hosting a party and you listen to Justin's show, tweet at me, send me a DM. I would love to hear from you and I will personally help you out and send you some bonus materials. Hmm. Nick, I want you to close with one final question here. If you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? And feel free to lean into the the cocktail party or if you got something else that's coming to mind, feel free to go off script. 16 weeks is a long time. You know, my book is the greatest compliment I get from my book is somebody's like, oh, I read it in one sitting. It's so easy to read. It's so so easy to read, right? Yeah. Because this isn't rocket science. It's very simple stuff. So 16 weeks is hard. But I'll tell you what, I have been brainstorming about this idea called the five-month, five-party challenge. And I believe I could change anyone's life if they host five parties. If they're willing to step up and to just make hosting a habit, and after five parties, like, come on, like the size of your network, the scope, the type of people you're meeting, the skills in like public speaking and social interactions would absolutely be turbocharged. And so I would love to do that. If I could teach a 16-week course, it would be like the four-month, four-party challenge. That would be great. (laughs) That's cool. Why five? Why do you feel like that's the breaking point? Is that when you start to see real ROI from this? I feel like if I were to say three, then it's easy for somebody to, you know, life gets in the way, they skip one of them, and then they only end up hosting two. Five, it doesn't have to be five, right? The reality is the the majority of the learnings will have sunk in and happened after the third one. But I really do feel that there's benefit towards making it a habit, towards this becomes something that you do. And you go through life with a lens of like, oh, who else can I invite to my party? There's this group of guys that are in Dallas, Texas, and it's Dwight is one of the guy's names. And they invite the craziest, most random people. 
they will be walking on the trail and they'll see somebody with like a cool outfit and they'll just be like, oh my God, we have to meet you. Like, what is your deal? And they talk to them. And if the person seems interesting after a couple minutes, because they're a good read of people, right? I'm not saying that you should be invite random strangers to your home. <laughs> but they had another one that they told me. They're like, yeah, we went shopping. We need to buy a suit. And the, the person who helped us shop and try on suits, you know, we got to know them after 25 minutes. You're with this person. And we like their energy so much that like we invited them to our party. And they've hosted parties now that they have that lens of who is interesting, who would be fun to get to know better with a deeper conversation, and that's who they're inviting to the parties. That's cool. Ah. Folks, Nick Gray, he is the author of the two-hour cocktail party subtitled How to Build Big Relationships with Small Gatherings. Nick, it's been a pleasure, man. Hopefully I get to see you around Austin sometime. That would be great. Yes, let's do a party together. Maybe we'll co-host. I'm going to get yes. you to do this. <laughs> That'd be so much fun. I'm looking forward to it. Once again, thanks, thanks again, Nick. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together. Mm-hmm.